Hi, this is Ross Bain with Roleplaying Public Radio, and we're here with Micah Wiedemeyer of Obsidian Portal. Uh, we're here to talk about Obsidian Portal, Kickstarter, uh, their upcoming Kickstarter, uh, the industry, uh, Kickstarter in general, and a lot of other gaming topics. So, uh, Micah, why don't you intru- introduce yourself? Hi, uh, like he says, I'm Micah of Obsidian Portal, also of the Haste podcast, so if you guys have heard about that. Um, and uh, you were the silver at any uh, award winners last year. We were. We yes. were. We were su- surprised and humbled to be beaten by you guys. So, <laughs> But actually, I started listening to your podcast a little bit after that. So in oh, in the very least, it introduced me to another good podcast, and that's uh, always that's well, always good. Yeah. Uh, I, I Yeah, I, I kind of – I did duck out of the award ceremony uh, early on uh, because we I had a, a game to attend to. Uh, Scott Glancy of uh, Publ- Pagan Publishing was running Call of Cthulhu. Uh, and you know you can't miss a scenario like that. Uh, well, I think I think anybody anybody who would deserve to win in any would realize that that's an acceptable excuse for skipping pretty much anything at Gen Con. Yeah, uh, it's pretty high up there. And of course, I recorded it for the podcast, so the people out there, uh, uh, the actual play fans, have already listened to it. But all right, so uh, Micah, why don't you explain a little bit about Obsidian Portal? Uh, and uh, so for the listeners at home who don't know what it is. Obsidian Portal is an online tool for managing all the details of your campaign, things like the NPCs that you've met and the locations you've visited, items collected, all the adventures you've had. Basically, we take all the nitty-gritty details of running your campaign, and we we, we make that stuff a lot easier so that you can spend more time with the fun stuff. So – um, you know, if you run your campaign and you've got like a GM's binder with notes stuffed in it and things written in the margins and you can never find what you're looking for, then you're exactly the kind of person that would benefit from using Obsidian Portal. Um, I'm a gamer. I'm a GM. I built it for myself because I could never find – I mean the, the, the perfect case is I could never remember the name of the town guard captain that the players had met. And I hadn't – I didn't have a name for him. So they're like, we want to go talk to the town guard. I'd be like, uh, his name is uh, Jerevan. And I would write that in the margin somewhere. And then like three weeks later, somebody would say, hey, what was that guy's name again? Yeah, no chance I'm going to find that. So Obsidian Portal was the tool that I came up with to start managing this kind of information, this this off-the-cuff stuff, and just the overall, you know, you play a game, you know, you play a campaign for three years, you come up with a lot of stuff. So if you're running it out of a out of a binder or you've got like 20 different Word documents and you can just never find the stuff that you, you know, that you could, you know, that you wrote up for your campaign, then you owe it yourself to give Obsidian Portal a shot. Nice. Uh, I actually uh, might have to try that out uh, for this campaign I'm running right now, uh, which is Knights Black Agents, which is vampire vampires meet espionage, Jason Bourne kind of thing. And I'm running a game in Tokyo, and uh, there are a lot of NPCs that players have to be in, uh, be aware of. It's a mystery investigation type game, so uh, I think I'll look into that to see how well it works, so the players can keep track of all the gang members, Yakuza members, and uh, cops and everyone else. It's do. a it's a yeah. great fit for that kind of thing. Like if you have a really story oriented game, you know, because we really we really focus on the story and not the crunch. You know, if you're playing, you know, vampire versus D and D versus whatever, you know, on Obsidian Portal, we don't really care about the differentiation between those. We just boil it down to the core. You know, of the core of your game is like the adventures that you've had and the NPCs. I mean, the characters make the game, and so then yeah, trying to remember who all those people are and keeping track of them all. That's that's what it's all about. Yeah. Uh, have you? Uh, are you working on any new features for it or anything uh, lately? Well, we are, and uh, and we've got a Kickstarter coming up. So okay, uh, you know that's that's what the new the big new feature announcements are are all about. Ooh, well, interesting. But before we get to that, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, the Haste podcast? Since uh, that was Silver Award uh, winner of the Indies last year. Yeah, so we we came in silver right behind you guys, <laughs> um, and so that was that was. 
a humbling experience for us, uh, but we were, we were very happy with it. Uh, my co-host and I, Jerry, um, we, we love doing the podcast and, and having you guys beat us at least taught me, uh, you know, there's a new podcast out there I should be listening to. <laughs> so, um, but no, the Hayes podcast is, uh, it's, we, we basically pick, um, a couple topics from the, uh, you know, the RPG community, things that are happening, you know, new Kickstarters that are coming out, news from the, you know, the D and D next team. And it's not just D and D it's, you know, across the entire spectrum. And then Jerry and I, we try to we try to hit him as fast as we can. We try to bring the show in. We used to try to do it in under 20 minutes. Now we're usually around 25. But we take three topics, um, a question from Twitter, and just try to hit everything as quickly as we can. Give you a little taste of it. Put everything else in the show notes, and then you know you can look up more from there if you're interested. So it's all about speed. Yes. Uh, I know in RPPR, our, our episode links have sort of crept up uh, 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 the last couple of years. But we started around an hour, and now it's around two hours. Uh, but that's more because our, our rele- release schedule has slowed down. We, instead of doing a bi-weekly thing, we're doing a monthly thing. So, uh, But yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. It, it kind of keeps one adding on a little more content. So that's a very... Uh, uh, long-standing struggle for podcasts, I think. Uh, well, and we can always we can always talk more about these topics. I mean, yeah. we play these games for you know these campaigns for decades at a time. It's yeah. not it's not <laughs> you know crazy that we could sit around and talk talk about the topics for you know two three hours at, at, at one sitting. Right. Uh, that is the uh, the eternal struggle. Uh, knowing when to not talk is uh, as important as knowing what to talk about. So. Um, Let's talk, yeah. So why don't we talk about the, the this Kickstarter you're, you're working on? Um, so you have Obsidian Portal, you have this campaign tracking website. Uh, what do what do you what do you need the Kickstarter for? So, well, so I started Obsidian Portal in 2006 was when I you know first sat down and started writing the code for it. And you know over the time you know since then you know and since we launched, I've added you know a ton of new features and it's just been kind of a work in progress. And I think I think all good projects are you know just a work in progress. Um, but one thing that we've never really done is we've never sat down to do kind of a big, you know, redesign and re-scrubbing of the entire thing. And so it's kind of grown organically. And, and like anything else that grows organically, you know, it's kind of messy. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes things get messy. Sometimes things don't fit. And so now, you know, I'll be I'll be using Obsidian Portal for my, you know, for my game and I'll see something. And I'll be like, oh, you know, that button's just not in a good spot or, you know, just overall things don't look very good. And there's just no unified look and feel. Um, and then we've also had reports from people over time of saying, you know, I just don't like the way this one thing works and I don't like the way this thing, you know, this other thing works. And so I'm not a professional usability designer. And I never really, you know, designed it from the start. You know, I'm a computer programmer who plays D&D. Well, that plays any of these tabletop games. And, um, you know, and so it, it, the design, if you can call it that, kind of reflects that. It's, it's, it's gotten messy over the years. And so with, you know, with the Kickstarter, what we're trying to do is I've actually got a professional designer um, that wants to work with me. And then I've got a few other programmers that, that want to help out as well. And we want to, you know, essentially, you know, I don't want to say tear it down because we're keeping, you know, we're keeping everything that is Obsidian Portal, but we're reskinning it. We're reskinning it. We're going to make it easier to use. Um, we're going to, you know, take the most common ways of using it, you know, editing your characters, editing, you know, your adventures and things like that, and and make, you know, make that much easier to do. You know, sort of start from from first principles of okay, this is the core of what the website does. Now let's let's refocus everything around that and make it much easier. Um, and then that's, I mean, that's the core idea is just take it, you know, take what it is now, make it easier to use and make it look a lot nicer. Make it look like it was a site that was designed by someone who has real design skills, not by me, you know, a computer programmer with, you know, 
no design skill whatsoever. My wife has to dress me because <laughs> I can't choose my own clothes. Fair enough, fair enough. That sounds a lot of, like a, a lot of work, though. Have you figured out how long it would take to uh, for your your team to 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 accomplish this? Assuming you do get the funded. Well, and that's and and so the thing is, I've I've been doing Obsidian Portal on a sort of a nights and weekends schedule ever since the beginning. Yeah. Um, and so I think with the team and with myself and with our designer, I really think that we could do it over the course of a summer. Um, and you know that's my goal is to bang this out by Gen Con. Um, and that's it's a pretty aggressive goal. But but when I look back over what I've been able to accomplish by myself, you know in you know in similar periods of time, it, it'll be tough. But I really think we can do it. And and the programmers that I've lined up, they're they're awesome. And our designer, he's he's great. And so you know, I think that if we can just you know if we can just knuckle down and you know, put nose to the grindstone, then we can really you know. And and the nice thing about it being a website is, like I said, it's always a work in progress. So we'll go through, we'll hammer out as much of the redesign as possible, you know, and get it looking good, get it working mostly the way we want put that out there and then just keep working. You know, it's like, you know, as soon as you get the machine running, you just keep turning the crank on it, making it better and better and better. So that the, you know, the big parts of the redesign were shooting to be done by Gen Con. But then after that, it's just, we just keep turning the crank as long as we can. Wow. That sounds a uh, very, uh, uh, yeah, very aggressive goal, but I, uh, it sounds like you, you, you know what you're doing. Uh, hopefully. So what is, so what, what's your, uh, so tell us a little bit about the Kickstarter in terms of like what you're offering to people and, uh, what the goal is and that kind of thing. When are you, when are you going to be launching it? Well, we're going to try to launch it, um, as soon as we can. It's in, it's in review by Kickstarter right now. We were hoping to launch it, um, on Monday, the 25th of March. Mm. Um, but, uh, the review process takes a little longer than we expected. So hopefully um, by the time this interview comes out, after yeah, exactly. Uh, but hopefully what, by the time the interview comes out, yeah. Uh, what, what, uh, what's your goal? Our goal um, is to get five thousand dollars. With five thousand, that'll be enough that I can work on it and that I can, you know, bring, you know, these other two people on these other two programmers that I've got and our designer. With that, we can hit, you know, the bare minimum of reskinning this thing. We've got some ideas for stretch goals. I'm going to keep them a little bit foggy for now. Right. Um, trying to trying to keep, you know, eyes on the prize. But yeah. uh, but if things if things go incredibly well, then we do have some stretch goals of some additional things that we'd like to do. But uh, if we can just hit that initial goal, I'd be ecstatic, and and we could do some awesome stuff. Well, it sounds uh, uh, well, well. We'll be rooting for you. Um, what what uh, I, one thing a lot of Kickstarters do is obviously you know you have the base goals where you can get the base thing that they're offering. I assume this would be like you know subscriptions to Obsidian Portal or uh, little little features like that. But what kind like a lot of the Kickstarters have these sort of unique gifts or uh, rewards for people who who back it at a high level. Have you thought or what kind of creative uh, or rewards have you have you thought of any or uh, higher end rewards? We do. It's an it's an interesting question. Um, I wasn't really sure what to what to do about this, but I, I talked to our designer, and and he's you know he's just started to play D and D, and he's you know the people that he's with, they're also you know real graphic artist kind of people, and he talked to them about it, and they had some really great ideas. Like some of our some of our higher end goals, um, you'll get you know custom handmade maps is one of them, and uh, another one is uh, a lot of people on Obsidian Portal they like to. Uh, they like to make like an intro video for their campaign. They're especially they're especially popular with like the Star Wars campaigns. People yeah. love to do like the scrolling text kind of Star <laughs> Wars, you know, episode thirteen. You know, Luke that and friends are sense. on the run. Yeah, that so, makes sense. And so uh, you know, the the people that uh, that are making our Kickstarter video for us, they they said for one of the higher end goals, they'd be willing to help other people make you know intro videos for their campaign. Um, and then, and then one of the other ones that I'm really excited about is uh, Brian Patterson of D20Monkey.com. He does he does a cartoon, and he's done um, he's helped us do these caption contests where he'll he'll do a cartoon with no caption, 
And then we post it on our blog and on our Facebook page, and we ask you know our our user base to to caption it, and they come up with some hilarious stuff. And so he's offered to do a limited number of uh, you know commissioned um, art pieces for people that that uh, that want that. And so he he has a great style, and I'm sure I'm sure you know even given like the most vaguest, I think if you gave him like the most vaguest you know description of something that happened in your game, you would get back something hilarious. So. Um, so yeah, some of those higher level backer awards, I'm excited to see those. And like yeah. you said, the, you know, the backer, the, the backer award that, that I think most people go to is, um, you know, a year of premium time. So a year of, of ascendant subscription time, um, at, at a discount over what you would get if you just bought it off the website. I gotcha. Uh, so yeah, so people who are already fans of Obsidian Portal should probably back it just so they can get a better, uh, rate for their, uh, current service, right? Right, right. I mean, you'll get a discount on it, and then you know you'll also get updates as as we go along with you know how things are progressing, and you know we'll be posting you know screenshots as we're working on the website, and you know one of the one of the not the highest but sort of mid level tiers you know is as an invite to a, a you know a forum where you can discuss all these things you know, and then we'll be posting there regularly and and taking feedback from people. Oh, that's good. Yeah, a lot of uh, these bigger projects have a lot of community participation, and I think a lot of backers really want to be involved in the process. So, uh, and we we want that too. I mean, some of our best ideas, um, you know, I, I looking back over time, some of the best ones, some, I mean, some of the simplest ones, just you know, somebody asked once, like, "Hey, can you do this?" And I thought, "Oh my God, why did I not think of that?" And it was a real simple change, and it you know made things so much better. So, yeah, some of our best ideas have come from you know the user community. So we're excited to get people involved in that. I got you. Um, so obviously, uh, you know, planning a Kickstarter is not you, you put you sounds like you put a lot of thought into it, but it's not something that's casually done. And it's kind of a new process in general. A lot of it, there's not really a lot of uh, precedence for the, them, even the, the only they've only been going for a few years now. So what? What did you learn when you started, you know, planning, like, I'm going to do a Kickstarter so we can upgrade the site, we can make the site look better, work better, uh, you know, where, when you came, got from that thought to where you are now, like, what did you learn along the way? Um, well, so the one thing I learned is having, having someone around who is visually oriented, you know, and has, you know, the skills to make things look good, like, and that's our, our designer, Drew, that's what he can do. Having that person around is invaluable. Like if you are if you are an artist, if you can draw, you know, and you can make pictures and things like that, you, I think, will have a much easier time making like a compelling Kickstarter page than someone who can't. Um, and, and, and it comes down to even strange, like very simplistic kind of things. If you look at if you look at some of the Kickstarters, they will have a description of what you get as a backer reward. You know, they'll say for level X, you get, you know, A, B and C. And for level Y, you get A, B, C and D and E. Um and someone who can draw, someone who can do good illustration can actually make like little illustrations saying like, here's what you get at this level. Here's what you get at that level. And at least for me, that's so far outside the realm of what I can do as to just be impossible. And so, you know, it's kind of funny when I talk to our designer, he, he, he's like, yeah, I can do that. Give me 10 minutes. And I'm like, I could not do that in an eternity. What sorcery is this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's a good point because, I mean, that's uh, uh, the key, the fundamental uh, element of a Kickstarter is that it's a sales pitch. You're, you're essentially pitching people, hey, give me money so I can do this thing. So you have to be able to advertise your idea and, like, get it across in a very quick way. Because not e- people, a lot of uh, Kickstarter backers don't even watch the videos necessarily. They just kind of, like, skip the page and if they like the idea they back it if they don't they just leave it so i i mean that's that's a really good point um so in terms of uh researching figuring out what aside from figuring out how to visually make your uh 
Kickstarter looked good, you know, getting the help of people who are more visually talented. What did you what, – what other kind of research did you do uh, or uh, work you did to prepare for your Kickstarter? Um, well, one thing I did was I read uh, a book, an ebook put out by Monty Cook following his hugely successful Numenera Kickstarter, where he he discusses you know the things that he did to uh, to make sure that it was a success. And you know one of the one of the things is try to set an you know an, a low initial goal. Like you know, of course, I have pie in the sky dreams of what I could do if if this thing goes way over you know yeah you know and I'm you know people donate a million dollars to me, <laughs> but. You know, but at the same time, he was talking about, you know, keep your, you know, because with Kickstarter, if you don't hit your goal, you get nothing. So it's kind of an all or nothing thing. So, you know, it talks about, you know, keep your, you know, can you can you pare your vision down? Can you take all of your grand plans and cut them down to like the the bare minimum core and pledge that, you know, and, you know, make that your goal and then have stretch goals. And so there's there was that. And then and then I also looked at a lot of the more successful, you know, Kickstarters that were out there and, and some of the things that they did. And so I think. I think there's kind of a common, I don't want to say, I guess, myth out there that, you know, oh, I got this great idea. I'm just going to throw up a Kickstarter and boom, you know, money just rolls in. (laughs) And at least for me, all the ones that I see, like if you even have a video, if you even have like the difficulty it takes to make even a decent video, like no one just throws that up there. So, you know, I, I, I think there was there was a lot of research in that, like, you know. Let me look at a, a bunch of these different Kickstarters, the ones that I've backed, you know, the ones that I really liked. What was it about them, you know, that drew me in? And so, unfortunately, the thing that drew me into a lot of them was, wow, this person has a really huge track record of doing X, Y, Z. And so, well, I guess, I guess we have a good track record of, uh, you know, of running Obsidian Portal for several years, but we're not, we're not really all that famous in the RPG community. So it's not like people really know who we are, um, unless they're users of Obsidian Portal. And we have a lot of, you know, really active, really you know, excited fans on, on the website, but just in the overall community as a whole, like we're kind of unknown. I mean, well, I mean, I've heard of it, but you know, obviously I, I try and stay focused on learning everything I can about the, the, the industry. So, um, but yeah, I'm, one thing, you know, that I've learned is, yeah, if you have a fan base, if you have a dedicated group of people who are interested in what you're doing, uh, that means a lot more than necessarily being very famous, but not having very dedicated, uh, followers or people who want to uh, buy into whatever you're doing. So I think in some ways that's better for you guys than necessarily uh, have being well known, being you know a flash in the pants, 15 minutes. You know, I was really famous for a little bit, and then you know nobody cares about me now. Uh, the so it, it, it's interesting to see what works and what doesn't on Kickstarter. Um, I, yeah, I will be very interested to see if this works. Um, <laughs> You know, I it it's it is difficult because you you see all these other ones that are successful and you think to yourself like, well, that's not that hard. I mean, I can I can do this too. But you know, I've I've tried to be clever and smart in the past and had things just flop, and then I've had other things where I didn't think it was that clever and it was a huge success. So I'm trying to just you know keep keep our goals simple. You know, keep our eyes on what we can and can't accomplish, and you know, just trust in the community that if they if this is something that people really want, then they'll back us. And if and if they don't care about it, well, there's something to learn there too. Yeah. Uh, I mean that's true, and you you see such a wide range of projects on Kickstarter. I mean a lot of them are the traditional, you know, I'm doing a book, I'm doing an album, I'm doing a movie. Uh, here, if you get back me, I'll send you a copy of the product when I'm done. But a lot of them are sort of crazy or unusual, or hey, we want to do this abstract kind of thing, you know, and let let's do this, let's make a, ro- a statue of RoboCop and put it in Detroit, or let's. Uh, uh... I don't think I back that one, and I regret <laughs> that. I totally regret that. 
Yeah, that would have been a good one to back. I I watched Robo. I don't. I think that was before I really understood what Kickstarter was because yeah. I watched Robo. It was, it was the one of day. the yeah. It was one of the early ones. Uh, yeah. It was. Like, I just. Yeah. I thought to myself, I wish I could point to that and say I had. I was part of that. That's true. Uh, but we're already getting to see Oscar nominated, Oscar award winning films uh, being backed on Kickstarter, at least in the short and the documentary uh, format. You know, not not so much in the traditional narrative because those things have you know tens of millions of dollars of backing. But then again, we have Veronica Mars coming up with a, a movie uh, and a lot of other larger projects. So it's interesting to see the kind of evolution of Kickstarter. Uh, so you've been you've been aware of Kickstarter for a while. Uh, so have you backed many projects? Have you have you had any favorites or? Uh, I've I've backed a couple, um, and I, I guess I I have to say some of the, some of the ones that I'm that I've backed that I like the most are some of the bigger ones, you know, like uh, the uh, the Numenera Torment mm-hmm. one that just came out. Yeah. I also backed uh, Wasteland Two was yeah. one of them, and oh, what was the other one? Uh, there was there was a couple in there, and so a lot of these a lot of these like sort of pseudo independent games that aren't you know. I have a friend that he he rags on me every time because he's like, you're backing the people that are ruining Kickstarter. <laughs> really? That's an interesting viewpoint because, uh, I mean, Wasteland 2, I mean, it, and some of these other games, those are games that could not be made any other way. And I think there's clearly a lot of demand for this kind of this kind of uh, – uh, uh, video game that isn't like a triple A title, but it isn't like a shovelware budget, you know, no name uh, product. And, you know, like Monty Cook's New and Era game, the tabletop game, I mean, that was amazing that he was able to get that level of score for a tabletop role playing game. I mean, I right. would have thought uh, a book would have gotten that level of support, but it did. So, I, I mean, that, that, that kind of viewpoint. Um, I actually haven't heard of that. That's a kind of an interesting view. What, what is his perspective of, of this? Yeah, he takes it. He takes the perspective that you know these larger these larger Kickstarters, um, like the Wasteland two, and then yeah, and then the other one was like the Shadowrun Returns, you know, video game that also came out about the same time as the Wasteland two one. Yeah. Um, he takes the perspective that these are ones that they could potentially be made, and I agree with you. I don't think they actually could. I don't know too much about the video game industry, but yeah, like I, it, it seems plausible to me that these are games that could not be made. That. You know, they exist in this sort of strange space where they need a fair amount of money to get started and, and be created and yet have a limited amount of money that they can bring in. And so that, like, you know, game publishers just wouldn't care. You know, video game publishers want to talk about millions and billions, not, you know, low well, tens of millions, hundreds of millions. Not, yeah, yeah, exactly. Not not, you know, two million, three million. That's not that's that's too little. Yeah, there there does seem to be this trend of go big or go home, uh, at least in traditional, you know, corporate backed uh, uh, media, not in movies and in uh, video games and that kind of thing. So, uh, I mean, the, there are, you could make the point, you know, Veronica Mars, Veronica Mars is owned by Warner Brothers and they certainly don't need any money. But on the other hand. They want to do these larger things that worth, you know, they want to do a hundred million dollar, two hundred, three hundred million dollar movies, or they don't want to make it because, you know, it's just not. They don't. The all those three hundred million dollar movies will either make insane amount of monies, you know, like say the Avengers or something, or Batman, or they won't, you know, they'll they'll crash and burn. So, uh, like say John Carter of Mars, which. Uh, was <laughs> uh, crashed horribly, uh, flopped horribly. But Which was actually a decent movie. I saw it in the theaters. It was an okay movie. Was it worth the quintillion bazillion dollars they paid for it? Yeah, yeah probably not. I guess not I guess box especially. office receipts say no. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, well, it was too long in my perspective, but if they could have cut like 40 minutes out of that and it would have been it would have been a much better movie. But they I think I mean the thing is so getting back to tabletop role playing games, you know, tabletop role playing games are very small. I mean, even the most successful projects are, you know, the the biggest one is being half a million dollars, which is by now not a huge amount of money for a Kickstarter project. Uh and most of them are in the the you know, thousands or tens of thousands. Uh so we don't – so the funding isn't necessarily – the question is, you know, I guess sort of the credibility. We have some projects that are late uh, and then some projects that are um, really – what do you call it? Um, uh, delayed or uh, – I mean do you think – I mean do you think uh, the, the Kickstarter – this is a bubble or do you think this is here to stay? Uh, because like the 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 reason I bring this is because there's been a couple of Kickstarters. There's one uh, called uh, it was from Adam and Entertainment, and have you heard of them? The they right yeah, though. Let's see, Far West. They did the Far West Kickstarter, uh, which was let's take a look at this. They raised fifty thousand dollars, and where is it? Far West Kickstarter. Uh, in July of, uh, 12, 2011, and they $49,000, and I'm looking at it right now, and they still haven't uh, released the game yet. So they're, they're saying they're 95% done, 80, 80 to 90% done. So that's been you know well over a year, a uh, year and a half since they've been done. Do you think the, the thing projects that are delayed this much are going to ruin Kickstarter or like, you know... Uh, damage it, or do you think the the? I mean, what do you think in general of like? What do you think the big vulnerabilities of Kickstarter are? Well, I think I think definitely something like this is a vulnerability, and so you'll see you'll see a lot of you know the, Kickstarter is divided into these sort of weird categories, and I, and I I should have written them down ahead of time, but like, but one of them is the I've got an idea category, mm. you know, and that's kind of it seems that you know maybe what this far west is, but then you've also got the I'm almost done category, yeah, like you know where people treat it as like a as like a pre-ordering thing. Yeah. And so I, I see it, you know, I, I definitely don't think that the, that the pre-ordering thing will go away because, you know, you go the Kickstarter route, you know, as a pre-order vehicle and you basically get to say like, okay, you know, I'm not going to spend any money or any more money printing this thing. I've, I've hired artists, I've hired writers and editors, I've gone ahead and put together this, you know, 100 page book. I want to put it out as like a real book, but, you know, I want to know if I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to lose my shirt on this deal. So I'm going to put it out there, and if I raise, you know, ten thousand dollars, then I'm going to go out and print some books. If you raise that ten thousand, you print the books, you know, yay, everybody's happy. If you raise like three thousand and the Kickstarter doesn't fund, okay, it's just not going to work. Let's go ahead and put this out as a PDF, and you know, try to recoup some of my losses there. So, you know, from that perspective, I, I definitely see that, you know, only getting more. Like, you know, that's that's only going to happen more. And I've I've talked to a few people when I was at Gen Con. Um, one guy, I forget his name. He was pretty drunk at the time, but, <laughs> but boy, he had a lot to say about Kickstarter and it was all good. Like, you know, he just, I mean, he, that's definitely a good point you make about the, the, I have an idea versus this is almost done. And I just need a little money to get it over the finish line. Uh, because I think, you know, I ran a Kickstarter last year for base Raiders for a role-playing game, uh, based on a campaign I was doing for RPP or actual play. 
and a lot of people were basically said, I like the idea of this, but because I, I was more of like, I have an idea. I don't have the, uh, you know, I, I had written some of it, but I wasn't done with the book and I wasn't done with the art. And I certainly didn't have the artwork because, you know, that that's expensive. And right. they're like, people are like, I'll wait until this is out, then I'll buy it, you know, because the, uh, a lot of people did sort of back off because it was, and I see a lot more, I think the I'm almost done, I just need money to get it over the finish line uh, is certainly becoming much more com- even expected at this point. Uh, I think for a very successful Kickstarter, uh, at least ones with, you know, even like a $5,000 or more goal, uh, especially for, you know, people who aren't expected, but there are, you know, there are always exceptions, but, uh, that's, that's a really good point. Um, and so I think, I think, yeah, we're, we're going to see, you know, sort of more breakdowns along those. And like you say, I think it'll probably, it'll also break down based on, um, you know, history. I've, I've told people many times, like, you know. And we'll see how this works out for me. But I say, I say, you know, you want to know how to run a successful Kickstarter? It's really easy. Just be famous. Like, you know, if you can start out with, with you know, a huge social network to lean on and, you know, a lot of people to go to, that gives you a huge leg up. If you have, you know, no track record or anything like that, it's going to be tough. And I, I think from what I understand, the way to do that is if you're running a Kickstarter without that kind of social network support, you just have to really, you know, cut down your, um, your goals. Like you can't ask for ten thousand dollars. You have to ask for a thousand dollars or five hundred dollars or something like that. You know, and just really kind of limit. You know, set your sights on a lot lower goal. You know, hey, do 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 something and do it well, but set your sights low with the expectation that like if this is successful, then I'll turn around and run another Kickstarter. You know, and and build upon the success that I've made. You can't you can't start with your eyes. You know, you can't get up one day and like you know pull a basketball out and be like I'm going to play in the NBA. So. Well, I think I mean that I I certainly think that is a path to success. I mean, and famous is very relative, obviously, because you know Monty Cook is not exactly a world stopping celebrity, but he is certainly very famous within the tabletop role playing game uh, trade uh, industry, whatever you want to call it. And but I think there is another route is that if you can be an unknown, but if you have a you know not you know a couple thousand dollar goal or whatever you can get be very successful if you have a really really great idea something that just instantly hooks people uh because some of these games that are like if you look at the tabletop game industry uh or the the most funded you know a lot of these people are people who've never done anything before but they had a really great idea you know and they presented it really well very visually usually and uh you know for example boss monsters uh, the dungeon building card game, which uses sort of like 16-bit graphic arts um, for uh, this this uh, card game, um, they uh, don't have much of a, a, a back, you know, uh, a back, you know, a, a, what do you call it? Um, history or you know they don't have a lot of success they haven't really done anything this is their first major project but they raised two hundred thousand dollars because people just saw that oh my god i want this a card game with like 16-bit graphics that sort of homages to nintendo and super nintendo games and that kind of thing uh here i'll send you the link right now uh and you can get, just kind of instantly see this and you're like dang i want to get this and they they had a huge amount of support for that uh, especially with the nostalgia thing you know like the box for this thing looks like an old nintendo cartridge so um i think if you can come up with something just instantly hooks people that 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 can be successful but you don't but there's no way to predict what's going to instantly hook people or not it's like trying to predict what's going to be a, a big meme you know next what's going to be the next viral hit you right know? and i would say some of this goes back to what i was saying earlier like 
here I'm looking at like an image, like a 16-bit. This is what the cards are going to look like. 16-bit graphics. Like as soon as you see it, you instantly know what they're talking about. If they yeah. didn't have this kind of imagery and they were just like it was just all text, you know, then you know I it's just not nearly as compelling. And it really brings into question like if if you're going to make this game that's supposed to have this particular kind of artwork, why am I not seeing it? Mm-hmm. And so and that's what I'm saying is like if you if you can have somebody if you've got the skills to make these things look good like and it's it's just so frustrating to me because I'm such a poor artist yeah. like you know I'm just such a bad artist and so you know when I see stuff like this I'm like oh man I would give anything to be able to do that yeah. like my computer programming skills are worthless compared to this <laughs> um I I mean yeah so and the the other um so there, there is that, you know, you instantly grab people and, yeah, you have a great visual presentation and people just instantly back it. Um, I think uh, – so that's a, that's another path. And now that I think about it, there's one other path which kind of crosses over and that is if you have something that may not necessarily be like instantly visually uh, hooking you but it like provides such an insanely great value that people just instantly oh, – well, I have to get that. That's such a great set. Um, and the, the, the thing I'm thinking of is the one I'm sure you've heard of the Reaper miniature bones, uh, Kickstarter, which raised $3.4 million, uh, out of a goal of 30,000. Yeah. And the reason why I think is because they ge- geared people towards that vampire level, which, uh, was, you know, 16,000 backers at the vampire, level, which a hundred dollars, but you get an insane amount of miniatures with that. Like, and I, I am one of those sixteen thousand, and 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 this is, I mean, I I took a lot of inspiration from from them, you know, for this Kickstarter because one of the things that they did, you know, they turned their backers into their, you know, major proponents mm. because every like every stretch goal that they would hit, they would add more to their existing levels, like to that vampire level. Like yeah, it every becomes stretch... a more efficient option. You right. get more and bang for your buck. Yeah. So one of the one of my players in, in my uh, in my Dark Heresy game, he backed it, you know, at yeah. the $100 level. And then he told me like, "Man, you should get in on this." And I was like, ah, "I don't know." And then the next day, "Are you did you did you back it yet?" And I asked him like, "Why are you, man? Why are you pushing so hard on this?" And he's like, "Well, cuz the more people that back it, the more minis I get." <laughs> and so finally, you know, he pushed on me and pushed on me, and I was like, "Ah, oh, he's right. It's a good deal, you know. I I would like to have more minis, you know, blah blah blah." So, you know, finally I went ahead and backed it, and then I told all my friends. I was like, "Yeah, so I mean, if you really this is a great deal, just get in at this $100 level and you get, you know, the minis, I mean, you'll get them they're like 30 cents a piece at that level." So, yeah, you're exactly right. Like, once you see it, and you're like, "I would be I would be stupid not to back this." Yeah, I, I've, I'd, although I do think now that uh, as the, they're starting to ship some of these out that are about to, people are going to uh, start like, oh my god, why did I get so many minis? Like, <laughs> there may be a little buyer's remorse when they have a huge box, you know, with dozens of miniatures coming. So we'll we'll see how well that works. We'll out. see. I went out. I was at a at a sporting goods store the other day. And they had a sale on tackle boxes, <laughs> and so I bought a tackle box and I was setting all the dividers up. And I was like, "Well, this is where this is where the rats will go. This is where these other things will go." <laughs> so, so I'm all I'm all ready. Hopefully, I won't have buyer's remorse. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, it kind of depends. Like, I uh, to be honest, I didn't back it myself, but I, I actually a friend did, and I told him like, "Can you?" Because I only wanted a few. It's like I I I I'm going to get a couple of the add-ons, and he was just going to mail them to me when he gets them, and then I'll pay him for the cost of that, uh, like the Cthulhu and like one other uh, some of the zombies or something like that. Because I didn't want. I already have a lot of miniatures, but uh, that that that's kind of how it works out. No, that's uh, a great way to go. Yeah, so. 
I, I, because you know, just a hundred dollars was too much for me at the time. Um, but for just miniatures, uh, but I think I mean that, that's kind of a good point. So you you have uh, the the really great you know Kickstarters that are doing really good work, and then you have ones that are you know like the far. Um, so do you think you know a lot of people? Uh, one other complaint I've heard about Kickstarter, uh, not not the the big ones are ruining it for those little guys, uh, with, but the Kickstarters ruin it for the retailers. Uh, have you heard of this argument before? That, I have not. This is a new one to me. All right. Well, the, basically, uh, there have been some retailers, game store retailers, you know, your friendly local game store retailers, who are very angry at Kickstarter uh, because they believe it sucks all the oxygen out of people who want to buy games. At you know, game stores because they'll, you know, the alpha gamers, the people who, you know, follow Kickstarter will just get it at, through Kickstarter and then they won't buy it at the game store. And then there's no point in ordering the game uh, for their own, you know, their store because they won't, you know, it's just, you know, they're they're taking all the money out of the, the hands of game stores. And so I've heard there have been some game stores that won't stock products that have been backed on Kickstarter that have been created, you know, funded through Kickstarter. Uh, there have been some that, you know, won't, you know, even though some, you know, some Kickstarters, uh, allow, uh, have a retailer option where like, oh, like for base Raiders, my, the, the Kickstarter I did, like I have an option to say like, oh, well you can buy three copies at half off each, uh, if you're a retailer, cause I'll, I'll just send them to you and at, you know, the, the wholesale price. And some people, uh, took me up on that, but others, you know, won't do that because they don't like how that's set up. And do you think that's a th- do you think that's a valid issue? Do you think uh, that Kickstarter is, you know, sucking money too much money away from the brick and mortar retailers? Or um, I mean, I I don't know. I I'm, I'm not as tuned into the retail situation, uh, and I, I don't know if you are or not. But I don't know. What do you think? I'm I'm definitely not either. And so that's it's it's a tough question. And I and I and I wouldn't know what to say there other than like I it, it's hard for me to imagine it being bad to put the you know the consumers in closer contact with the producers. Like, you know, Kickstarter um and, and I hate to I hate to use the term Kickstarter because it's more like crowdfunding. Yeah. But, That's a good point because um, uh, there are other crowdfunding sites. I mean we talk about Kickstarter, but we, we kind of ignore uh, other sites like Indiegogo in particular. Uh, right. That's the one I'm thinking of because uh, I've actually backed a project uh, – a couple of projects on Indiegogo. In fact, I played one of them, uh, which was The Quiet Year, which was a uh, kind of a, a experimental uh, storytelling game where you draw a map – of this post-apocalyptic community, you describe what happens to them over the course of a year. You draw cards from a playing deck, and like, oh, the three of hearts. This happens this week. What do we to- do about it? And it's a, I've done an actual play of it, and it was a. I, I I really liked your video where they actually had their the the people wandering around in a forest in gas masks and everything, like they're post-apocalyptic survivors, and like, here's our we are we have survived. This is our community. Now we discuss what we do, and it's like, oh wow, this is really cool, and. The thing is, um, the interesting thing about Indiegogo, aside from the fact that it allows international, you know, projects, Kickstarter right now only does U.S. and U.K. projects. You can't you can't start a Kickstarter uh, through unless you live in the U.S. or the U.K. Uh, but Indiegogo doesn't care. So like, you can be in Canada, you can be in you know Germany, Australia, wherever. Um, the other thing about them is you they do flex funding, which is the you can like Kickstarter is the all or nothing model. You get all the money you ask for, or you don't. Uh, but you can set an option in Indiegogo where, like, if you raise four thousand 
you know, $4,000 out of 5,000, you get the 4,000 at the end. And some people, um, think that's a good thing. Some people think that's a mistake because, you know, what, uh, what if you, you're, uh, the, the, the big, you know, the big dilemma for that is if you set, you know, you're, you're, you're doing a project and you ask for 5,000, you only get 4,000. Can you do it at 4,000 and fulfill all the rewards you've promised? Yeah. So I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, I think, I think if people really think that everybody knows how much things actually cost, then that's just a, a shared hallucination that we all have. <laughs> um, you know, somebody says I can do it for 5,000. Well, yeah, I can do it for 4,000. A lot of times people just don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, with, with our particular Kickstarter, I know that like when it comes down to it, I can do all the programming myself. So if, you know, if we run out of money from the perspective of I can't, you know, I can't pay these other programmers anymore. As long as I have enough money to set aside to pay the designer, I can do all the programming myself. So, you know, that's that's one level of confidence that I have. You know, I've been doing this nights and weekends since the beginning. I can continue doing that. Um, and, and as far as like as far as like the, you know, the crowdfunding versus, you know, Indiegogo versus Kickstarter and all these different things, it's it's. It, you know, it's a little sad that Kickstarter in some sense owns the, you know, the idea of it that, you know, everyone, they talk about crowdfunding and they use Kickstarter independent. It's like Kleenex or Xerox or, you know, yeah. one of these other brand names that has come to represent the entire, the entire genre. Um, and, and the guy that I talked to at, at Gen Con that was really drunk, he, he made it clear that, you know, he had run one project on Kickstarter and one project on Indiegogo and the Kickstarter one had 10 times as much money come into it. And he attributed that directly to you know the Kickstarter name. That, well, well, they also have the the the, the largest user base, and, right? And uh, so that that means a lot. You know, they've they've done a lot of work in figuring out how to get uh, Kickstarter users to back other projects. You know, through their emails, through their advertising, marketing, that kind of thing. Right. And yeah, that, that that is kind of a dilemma. Um, you know, what's interesting is you know Kickstarter isn't even the first with this idea. The the uh, there was a site before I I I've done Kick. Kick crowdfunded projects before Kickstarter even existed. There, there, there was a site called Fundable.org, and I raised you know a couple hundred bucks to do PDF D and D PDFs for the podcast, and that was just to pay artists, and that was uh, an early attempt at that. But you know, Kickstarter was the one that that showed up and saved the day, or say you know proved the business model worked. Uh, and and uh, was it um, Cobalt Quarterly? Mm. They they had this patronage model yeah. where you could you know you could pay X amount of dollars to become a patron of a project and you would then you know if the project got enough money if it got enough patrons this was they they did it just on their own website you could sign up to be a patron and if they got enough patrons they would go ahead and do a project and the patrons got to you know provide feedback throughout the whole process and everything so yeah it's not a it's not a, a brand new model or anything yeah. Um... You know, we did the 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 Greg Stolze actually to, uh, uh, created the 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 ransom model, uh, which is you know I'll hold this game supplement for ransom uh, until I get this much money. Once I get this much money, I'll release it for free. Everybody benefits, and it, it's worked very well. There have been a lot of uh, uh, ransom model projects uh, that have been done. Uh, in fact, I've done some, but um, it's it's interesting to see all the different permutations of these uh projects and all the variables you know like oh we'll do this we'll do this we'll i think you know one of the interesting innovations i've seen lately is you know for these larger projects some of these projects like oh we'll don't we'll put five percent of everything we make into other kickstarter projects and uh to try and sort of like pay it forward uh i know like numenera did it and a few other projects did it um 
so that that's kind of interesting to see how the model keeps evolving uh, and fine tuning uh, the little the little tweaks you can do. So uh, and there's uh, the, of course. Oh, have you heard of uh, Kick Track? Yeah, Kick Track. Kick Track yeah. is a. Uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, and I, I should have looked into it a little more. I because I'm actually a huge a huge fan of of these like you know historical you know, views of Kickstarter yeah. because Kickstarter itself, I mean, a lot of people don't realize this Kickstarter itself. They, they go to a lot of trouble to hide the failures. Yeah. Um, well, know, they, 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 like the individual projects that fail, they're, they're, they're left visible on the web, but they're not, they don't show up in search results. I don't think. Right. Yeah, it's, so. it's, they, they, they're difficult to find. They're difficult to search for. Yeah. They're, it's they're, just, yeah. Um, and there, so there's, there's kick track and then there's another one called the, the kickback machine. Oh, okay. Um, that somebody made that does a does a better job of indexing all these different projects by um, by type and category and, and and so you can actually go and look and get sort of some some more statistical information about you know which projects have succeeded and which have failed and so I was I was actually very surprised to find you know according to the kickback machine um, projects in the uh, the tabletop you know or I guess it's just yeah it is tabletop games yeah projects- they recently changed it like last year it was just games but uh, this uh, or and sometime in 2012, I forgot exactly when they they split it from just game. They used to be like board games and then video games, but then they 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 renamed it to board and card games. But right. Then they renamed it to tabletop games because like, hey, role playing games exist. <laughs> but they they've actually been you know they were actually very successful when I when I checked the uh, the the kickback machine stats, it was something like you know sixty or seventy percent of them successfully funded. Yeah. Um, but it, it is very useful to go through there and see, like, all right, who who you know who funds and who doesn't fund. Yeah. Um, and that was, I mean, that was I had intended to spend more time doing that as part of the preparation. But there's just so much other stuff that goes into the preparation, as far as you know, writing up all the text, getting yeah. images, creating the video, creating the backer rewards, all all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So there's a you know, lot I didn't, of I didn't do as much do as much research as I should have. So we'll see if that hurts me in the end. Well, we'll find, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll find out soon enough. Uh, but I do recommend, I mean, you know, don't do what I did. Like I, I recommend that people do as much research as they can and don't just focus on, on the really successful ones. Yeah. You know, it, they're, they're, you know, a success is only a success in comparison to other things. And so you, you, you can't really say like, well, Numenera did this and, you know, um, you know, Wasteland 2 and, and all these other ones, they, you know, they all did these particular things. You have to look at what some of the failures did because, hey, maybe they tried some of the same stuff and it just didn't, you know. And so you have to ask, like, OK, if they all do A, B and C, but the successful ones do D and the failed ones don't, well, then D is the key. You know, don't worry too much about A, B and C. Worry about D. That's true. Um, and yeah, the, uh, uh, you know, each of those projects, you know, Wasteland 2 had the, the reputation of Wasteland, the legendary right. PC role-playing game that people have once, you know, wanted a sequel to for generation. You know, the entire Fallout franchise is just an homage to Wasteland. And, you know, some people consider it a pale imitation to the glory that is the original Wasteland uh, uh, video game. Um so and then of course Monty Cook is Monty Cook. He's an you know a consummate uh, promotional uh, expert, and he has this legendary reputation in tabletop games of you know writing you know a lot of you know Third Ed and a lot of the World of Darkness and a lot of other very popular things. So he is uh, you know has a huge fan base and everything. So and, and I would say I would say probably what you want to do, and I shouldn't talk too much because I'm I'm the guy who's about to run a Kickstarter. Yeah. So I shouldn't say too much. 
because it's only after I either succeed or fail at it that I should talk about. <laughs> yeah, well, we can do a postmortem. Actually, you know, that would be a good topic for another discussion. Would be a postmortem after the conclusion of your campaign to see what went right, right, went right. wrong. And and so what I'm trying to do now is I'm trying to look at things like you know like like Numenera and some of these larger ones and take inspiration from those. Yeah. Then then look at some of the ones that I would say are, are you know more of orbit in our sphere and and you know take you know sort of tactical strategic inspiration like what did they do specifically you know what are their backer rewards that kind of stuff and yeah. then at the same time you know look at you know look at a few that have succeeded a few that have failed look at what we have to offer you know these kind of things so i'm not looking at you know i'm not looking at numenera and saying like well what do i do when i raise five hundred thousand dollars yeah that's you know that's a problem you want to have but yeah <laughs> and you know i'm not even going to worry about that i'm going to i'm going to worry about like all right when we get this five thousand dollars we're going to make something cool for people like yeah. you know i'm excited to do that yeah um, well, that uh, one thing I do want to mention, um, are there any Kickstarters right now that you're backing or anything uh, that you're looking at? Like, oh, wow, that's really cool. I haven't I haven't I've just been so, you know, heads down focused on our own that I haven't actually looked out there for anything recently. Um, and I and I do actually I will bring that up. That's that's one thing that I'm a little bit afraid of, you know, now and going into the future is sort of the idea of, you know, Kickstarter fatigue. Like, yeah. you know. In the beginning, you know, the RoboCop, like, wow, what's this new Kickstarter thing? Then there's, you know, sort of this ramp up. And then now, you know, I have to say, like, you know, I feel like I'm coming in as part of, you know, this mass horde that's like, you know, Kickstarter, Kickstarter, Kickstarter. And so, you know, every day I know I know uh, um, Russ Morrissey of EN World, he created like a Tumblr account just to track all the different RPG Kickstarters. Yeah, he did. Uh, RPG Kickstarter. And that's something you have to you should probably manually submit to. So he he tries to keep uh, keep up with all of them. But if you if you email him ahead of time, he can like get it up on his uh, Tumblr uh, uh, faster. Right, but I mean that's that's part of the problem is there's just there's enough of them now that they it needs its own Tumblr account, you know. Yeah. Like, and so I you know I am a little bit worried about getting you know, you know that's, falling. I mean falling. that's true, that's true. But like I think the Kickstarter user base is always growing, and I think a lot of these people you know they they back one project and you're going to be bringing in new users, people Obsidian Portal fans who are just going to set up Kickstarter accounts just to support your Kickstarter, uh, and a lot of the users because I think it probably the majority of users only back like one or two projects. They come in because the project creator draws them in, and then they, yeah. they they might back one or two other things, but that's it. You know. I don't think uh, I think only minority of Kickstarter users or power users, you know, who just search the site and look for projects to back or follow RPG Kickstarters uh, on Tumblr or anything like that. You know, I think most users are pretty like narrowly focused. They have their own blinders on, so they're just like doing their own thing. That's so, true. And with with some of the ones that I've backed, a lot of times it's it's one of those where you know I happen to be on Twitter or something, and somebody says, "Hey, we're running a Kickstarter," and I'm like clicking, and I'm like, "Where do I pledge?" You know. Yeah. No, no further explanation needed. Like, you know, and you're right. I'm never on Kickstarter, like browsing Kickstarter. Like, what else is here? Instead, it's it's. You're right. I'm following people in my own social network, and you know, somebody says, "Hey, I got this new thing that I'm doing." All right, where do I pledge? How do I back yeah. it? No, no more, no more discussion necessary. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I'm uh, backing right now is Mask of the Other. Uh, from Greg Stolze, uh, who again came with Ransom Model. He's doing one right now called The Mask of the Other audiobook. Uh, he has a horror novel, which is a Cthulhu Mythos horror novel called Mask of the Other, and he wants to turn that into an audiobook with a professional uh, narrator. And this is the $3,000 to raise. He's raised $1,100 so far. 
Uh, it's equal inspired in equal parts by the nihilistic horror cosmos of H.P. Lovecraft and accounts of the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, both journalistic and fictions like The Hurt Locker. So it's a combination of both of these things, and now he wants to do an audiobook. And uh, I'm not I'm I'm backing it because of Greg Stolzing. You know, I'm not a uh, I don't really listen to audiobooks, but I like his writing. So I don't know. Um, are you have you read much of his work, or are you familiar? No, no, but I'm I'm a huge fan of audiobooks. If anybody if anybody ever does like long distance driving or anything like that, um, yeah. I was I was actually I recently ran a marathon, and so during during the marathon training, you got a lot of a lot of time to yourself, and so things this like pod, yeah, yeah, things like podcasts and audiobooks are they're a huge you know huge help in that kind of stuff. You can just forget what you're doing and listen. Yeah. So you know, 11... actually, I do I do listen. Actually, I listen to pod uh, audiobooks on the way to Gen Con and back, uh, like The Daily Show, America the Book, and uh, Stephen Colbert's one, and uh, World War Z, uh, a couple other things like that. But yeah, I I do listen to audiobooks. So on those long trips, but I usually don't have those. And uh, so yeah, that that's a good point. Uh, and so I see I see here that like for a twenty dollar pledge, you get the audiobook, and it's an estimated eleven hours of horror, yeah. which is pretty good. I mean, for audiobooks, audiobooks are always very expensive yeah you know but i guess when you think about it if you're willing to pay 99 cents for a three minute song yeah you know 20 dollars your, your your cost per cost per minute of entertainment is actually pretty low yeah. when you're doing an audiobook that's true and greg solzy knows him some horror i mean he created the unknown armies rpg uh and oh, he's done a lot of really and he's done a lot of stuff with the world of darkness so he knows his stuff so uh with that uh as in mind is a little uh, a hint for people of what they're thinking about backing if they've got some spare dollars in their in their wallet. Uh, well, and this is and this is good because he's saying that, that uh, uh, he's got this guy Trevor Dutton who will be doing the the voiceover work, and in the video you actually get to hear him. So it's I mean it's it's a pretty good idea. Of, I mean this is kind of one of those where like it's uh, somewhere between I have an idea and I have a finished product. Yeah, it's more like it's more like here's the idea. You know, the finished product is is the book. He's already got the book. And now he's got somebody to make the audiobook of it. Play the video. If you like the way it sounds in the video, like then you've got a you know you've got a really good view of what you're actually gonna get at the end. You yeah. know. And and there's a pretty good chance that it's actually gonna happen. Because it's all it's all it's gonna be is this guy doing the you know, reading the book and doing you know, doing the, the voiceover for it. It's not like it's not like unless he gets hit by a bus. Yeah. He's going to be able to do it. <laughs> uh, and if you look at uh, his, and if you're if you're want to be a Kickstarter backer or creator, uh, you could do worse than to look at his previous project. If you look at Greg Stoll's uh, uh, history or his profile on Kickstarter, he's created 25 projects. Wow. Uh, on Kickstarter, because he does a lot of these sort of low budget things, uh, very very niche uh, focus, and uh, almost all of them have been successful. Uh, I see one that hasn't, uh, two that haven't, but out of 25, that's pretty good. Three, three that haven't out of 25. So that's, that's a good track record. And he does a lot of the stuff with, for his fiction and he, uh, does the ransom model kind of material. So, uh, everybody wins. And, yeah. Um, but anyways, of course, uh, what's what's the official title for your Kickstarter? Have you is it just the Obsidian Portal upgrade? Or... It's Obsidian Portal reforged. Reforged, nice. We're taking we're taking the core of Obsidian Portal. We're heating it up in the furnace and we're reforging it into you know a sleeker, slicker, and sharper tool. Okay, well, uh, we'll uh, the, we'll have a link up on the website so you can take a, on RPBR's website so you can take a uh, click and take a look at that, and also have a link up for Mask of the Other. Uh, 
thanks for uh, dropping by, Micah. Do you have any last words for the uh, audience? No, no. Uh, uh, just uh, come check us out on the Haze podcast sometime. <laughs> All right. We'll have a link to that as well. All right. Well, this is Ross Payton with Roleplaying Bubble Radio, and we'll uh, see you guys next time.